dementia researcher with a blog and a rating. Judging capacity in dementia studies, insights from face-to-face and remote recruitment. The Dementia Personalised Care Team programme is an NIHR-funded project aimed at developing and evaluating a dementia support worker intervention based in general practice for individuals living with dementia and their carers. Current NIHR guidance advocates that research should strive to improve the inclusion of individuals with dementia, including those who lack capacity, i.e. the ability to make one's own decisions. Despite this guidance, DPAT is one of the few studies actively including adults who lack capacity through an innovative, inclusive recruitment pathway and the use of consultees. In research, a consultee is someone who knows the individual who lacks capacity well enough to be able to communicate their wishes and feelings concerning the research. During the development of our capacity judgment process, we adhered to the Mental Capacity Act, which provides a framework to follow if an adult lacks the capacity to make a certain decision. We also worked to the good clinical practice standards for decision-making and consent. In addition to these regulatory requirements, our process was informed by the principles of personhood and person-centred care, two concepts at the heart of the DPAT ethos. These principles focus on the importance of developing relationships based on equality, recognition, respect and trust, and actively involving the individual in their care. We also highly valued patient and public involvement contributions, including people with dementia, carers and former carers, which helped us to create our comprehensive step-by-step work instructions for capacity judgments. Judging capacity and seeking informed consent slash consultee agreement with dementia populations is challenging. Although there are the above mentioned regulations and there are a small number of published recommendations for researchers, there is still a paucity of practical guidance on the real life application of these principles. In this blog, we wanted to share some of our first hand experiences as DPAP researchers in the Southwest site and and making face-to-face and remote capacity judgments and seeking informed consent and consultee agreement. We wanted to highlight that capacity judgments in research are challenging and the process, in our experience, can cause researchers to sometimes feel uncertain and uncomfortable. We have learned a great deal during DPAT's feasibility stage and we have refined our capacity process in line with this. This blog by no means attempts to cover the range of challenges surrounding research capacity judgments, and much is only common sense. But we hope our experiences can offer some advice to other researchers working with populations who may lack capacity, particularly during the initial planning stages of a project. The importance of being human, informal conversations and building good relationships. Every contact is an opportunity to make a connection and build rapport. Informal conversations are vital for putting people at ease and promoting an environment of openness so they feel they can ask questions. As researchers, we are all individuals and our natural conversation styles differ. But our approaches all include being warm and friendly, engaging in humour when appropriate, using active listening and asking genuine questions. 
We responded to individual dynamics to ensure that individuals with dementia and carers both had the opportunity to engage. These informal conversations also provided useful information for capacity judgments. For example, whether the carer has power of attorney and details about personal care. Developing and maintaining rapport is also beneficial for studies that may find it challenging to recruit and longitudinal or randomised trials which often experience high attrition rates. In our experience, just being human helped participants feel more comfortable with the whole research process and hopefully made the research process a positive experience. We found that by ensuring, where possible, the same researcher maintained contact with the participant throughout the study, rapport building was enhanced through familiarity. It should be noted that this critical process is time intensive and is often underestimated when developing bids, budgets and timelines. Be flexible and give people time. Caring for someone with dementia is challenging and there will be times during the day that are busier than others. We also know that capacity can fluctuate and may be more impaired at certain times. We found it beneficial to ask the individuals with dementia and their carer the best time to contact them, including evenings if the carer was employed. If someone was having a difficult day, we, arranged the, we rearranged the appointment. Individuals with dementia sometimes need longer to process information, and this entailed having several short conversations with them before they volunteered or declined to take part. It was important to be flexible and give people the time to make informed decisions, but again, this meant the process could be time-consuming, and it was difficult to balance when researchers were under tight recruitment deadlines. Keep information brief and simple. It is constructive to ensure written and verbal information about the study and what participation could entail is as accessible as possible to both the individuals with dementia and the carer. Keeping jargon to a minimum and using a variety of media to share the key information, for example, pictures, words, verbal explanations, was helpful. Our participant information sheet was initially quite lengthy due to the ethical requirements outlined by the Health Research Authority. However, we have worked hard with our PPI group to reduce the information and make it more dementia-friendly, resulting in the information being shared in a range of documents, including a simplified one-page visual document. Using creative ways to make the information as accessible as possible, we were able to develop documents and processes which adhered to ethical regulations, but which also put the participant at the heart of the research. We questioned assumptions about ethical conventions, for example, the need for written consent with populations who experienced tremors, visual problems, and who were, at the time, self-isolating during COVID-19. We received a favourable ethical opinion to use verbal consent, reducing the burden on our participants. Use of person-centred communication aids and skills. We used our simplified participant information sheet when capacity was being judged, alongside a simple communication tool which allowed the individuals with dementia to point to yes and no answers. We found techniques such as sitting face-to-face, pre-COVID-19 or via video calls, directing talk to the person with dementia by using their name, reducing distractions, active listening and using gestures supported understanding and aided comprehension for informed consent. 
We also openly accepted the reality of the individuals with dementia, as well as seeing individuals as people first rather than someone with dementia or a carer. Stick to the principles of the capacity judgment process, but be flexible. We developed clear work instructions intended to increase research confidence and make our capacity judgments as consistent as possible. During our initial face-to-face meetings, when we were less experienced, we more rigidly followed these. However, over time, we were able to implicitly apply the principles, making the process feel more of a conversation and less like a test, which helped put our participants at greater ease and therefore made the process a true reflection of capacity. Take people's personal choices into consideration when arriving at your judgment. As part of our process, we would find out what the domestic administration processes were. For example, the person with dementia might comment that their care assigns everything these days as they get too confused. This shouldn't be the basis of the definitive capacity decision, but it can indicate how comfortable a person with dementia might be about introducing the idea of a consultee if that is looking like a direction of travel. Introduce the idea of a consultee sensitively. When dementia is in the advanced stage, it is usually quite evident that a consultee agreement will be required. The opposite is typically true when dementia is in the very early stages. In those situations where it is greyer, the concept of having a consultee can be introduced in ways that do not undermine a person's dignity, autonomy or personhood. An important part of this process is explaining the consultee role to the carer and the individual with dementia. This can feel uncomfortable, so it can be helpful for researchers to have a clear understanding of the process, to introduce the concept of consultee in an early conversation with participants, and to feel prepared to discuss this in the moment. This is when previous conversations about the domestic admin is arranged can be helpful. For example... You've said X signs everything now, as you sometimes struggle with paperwork. Can X sign a consultee form about you taking part in the research? Would you be happy with this? This is a challenging area of practice, another blog for the future. Even if a person with dementia is judged not to have the capacity to consent, their assent remains central to the research process. In line with ethical regulations, consultee agreement does not automatically assume assent on the part of the individuals with dementia. Their assent still needs to be prioritised. Black et al. 2010 highlighted the challenges facing researchers in this context. And in line with recommendations, we were vigilant to verbal and non-verbal signs of dissent and did not allow the research to continue if there were any signs of unwillingness. Judging assent in individuals with dementia who may be experiencing neuropsychiatric or behavioural symptoms of dementia can be extremely challenging and can require sensitivity on the part of the researcher and an open discussion with the carer to ensure the research process is not causing distress. Video calls can enhance remote capacity judgments. When gaining consent remotely, researchers reported that video calls appeared superior compared to telephone calls, due to the researcher being able to identify contextual, non-verbal cues for engagement and understanding. 
Unfortunately, a low proportion of participants choose this mode of communication. Telephone calls were more popular for several reasons, including participants not having access to the internet, either through choice or due to poor internet in rural areas of the southwest, participants not feeling comfortable or confident with video call platforms, or participants not having access to digital devices. Going forwards, considerations are underway for enlisting the help of digital enablers who could offer devices or solutions, for example, internet boosters, to alleviate video call barriers. Don't underestimate the impact on the researchers. Working with individuals with dementia and their carers was sometimes emotionally and mentally demanding, particularly during COVID-19. Before the pandemic, we worked in researcher pairs to conduct face-to-face visits. We found the researchers could support each other, for example, developing nonverbal cues, which enabled us to share our thoughts about capacity and enabled retrospective peer reflection, as well as providing each member of our dyad with individual space to share their thoughts. Dual working was not possible in remote times, and the onus of the capacity judgment was on a sole researcher, Therefore, ongoing peer and teen support and supervision is essential. We continue to refine our recruitment pathway, including our capacity and consent and consultee processes. When COVID-19 restrictions were lifted, participants uh, were, are offered a shared decision-making process to agree on their preferred recruitment method, face-to-face, remotely, or a hybrid of both methods. In this blog, we have attempted to provide a snapshot of DPAT, capacity and consent process, and our current learning. Due to word restrictions, we were not able to do justice to DPAT's wider recruitment process. For example, exploring how our pre-consent information, such as the participant information sheets, are specifically designed to promote autonomy for individuals with dementia. If you would like more in-depth details about the larger recruitment process, or if you have any questions or queries about the project, then we'd be more than happy to discuss these with you. DPAT are nearly ready to submit a paper for publication on how we remotely judge capacity to provide consent during COVID-19. We have also recently had a paper published titled Do I have the capacity to make capacity judgments? Researcher reflections from a person-centred dementia support study. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. Join the Dementia Research bloggers and share your own views.